the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it's important that people understand something. The Scripture says, <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth. What kind of a person would you be, or would we be, if we really had been guided into all truth? There would be so much of the absolute likeness of Jesus in you and I that there would be no difference. Do you think that's true? Therefore, we could say that no one in the body of Christ has ever allowed him to guide them into all truth because of sectarian thinking. Do you understand that term? We have th seven major evangelical movements in the earth and a lot of varieties in each one. We have the modern movement, the fundamental movement, the Pentecostal movement, the latter rain movement, the charismatic movement, the word of faith movement, and the sons of God movement. And without question, not any one of those movements has all of the truth of Jesus Christ within them. And although that they don't teach it, but if you are of one movement and you come in around me, I'm going to present that either you become part of this movement and what I believe and teach, or you're deceived. They don't say that. But it's conveyed out of their spirit by a mixture of a religious pride. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so Jesus has appeared to me and he said, I will not give all of my truth to any one man or woman or associated leaders with them. But as that one, or one man or woman and all those leaders associated with them humble themselves and submit themselves as unto me, to another one of my brethren or sisters and all those associated with them. And they also humble themselves and submit themselves as unto me, unto this brother or sister and those associated with them. Then I will guide you into all truth. Now that's a pretty pro profound remark. Last night we talked about becoming perfect in Christ Jesus. And I was quite amazed as I asked the questions. I want your attention. Don't pay attention to these people coming in, please. I don't want you to miss a word that I say. Please, if you would. Forgot what I was saying. Always oh, talking about perfection. I really was amazed at when I come up to somebody and I ask, I says, or I ask the people, do you all believe that Jesus is coming for a perfect church? And everybody agreed to that. They said, yes, that's true. Then I, you know, I asked a lot of questions last night. And I asked then the question from someone, and I don't know who it was, does that mean that if he's coming for a perfect church that you, you will be perfect? And I think, I'm not sure if, if I remember right, I think the person said, no, I won't be perfect. Then I asked the question, but if you're not perfect, will he come for you? And then almost everybody agreed that even though you as an individual aren't perfect and he's coming for a perfect church, he's going to come for you. 
Now, if you stop to think, that's really quite a, 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 an unwise remark. How can he come for a perfect church if you as an individual and you as individuals aren't perfect? It doesn't make sense to me that he's going to come for a perfect church and you, 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 you aren't perfect. Do you understand that? Now, you don't hear much people, much, I don't hear much anybody preaching on perfection. And yet, that's really what the church, what Jesus is coming for. And I want you to please understand this. If you are not perfect when Jesus comes, if you are not experientially perfect with his perfection, then he will only come for you through some premature form of death and up into the resurrection later at the end of the tribulation. Do you understand that? There is a people that he's coming for that will be perfect before the or just before the tribulation starts. And then a lot of things will begin to unfold, the whole work of tribulation. My message really is to alert the body of Christ and to those that have an ear to hear on not only to believe that, but what they can do to ensure that they cooperate with Jesus Christ so correctly that he can form his perfection within them. Because there isn't any of us smart enough to be perfect. We all know that. And we don't know of anybody perfect. And we don't even know anybody near perfect. But it's very likely that nobody's near perfect because they have not known how to allow him to do it. They've not known how to relate to him so that he's permitted to do it. He will not bypass your and my ignorance of knowing things. Even if we don't know, he will not violate his laws and come and make you perfect anyway. Do you understand that? And I think it's, I didn't get to talk about books, did I? Well, I never do when the Spirit of the Lord comes on me. I asked the people last night that I, I said, what is the consequences of your life in the light of perfection? Do you realize that you are the last generation? that there are no more other generations in this age. This is, the, this is the last generation of this age. Maybe the last decade. That means the last 10 years. Children like this will probably never be able to grow up into mature adults where they themselves will bring forth children through marriage relationships. And every one of you here, sitting here tonight, unless some terminal disease like cancer gets you or you're killed by some premature auto accident or something like that, every one of you are going to be able to see, the will be seeing or approaching the close of this age and determine, and it's conditional upon how you live in Christ, how you relate to Christ, how perfectly you cooperate with Christ 
will determine whether you will live alive into the next age or into immortality or whether you will have to go through some premature death and up into the resurrection. Have you understood what I've said? Now you don't find this sort of thing that I know of, I don't hear that being presented in all popular Christian media, television media, by all the speakers, uh, all the radio media, by all the speakers, all the uh, <clears throat> pulpit ministries that I've been exposed to, I don't hear that being presented. I was in uh, Florence, Massachusetts, and we was talking about perfection, and I asked the question, if you believe that Jesus is coming for a perfect church, and you're not perfect, will he come for you? And I, well, she says, sure, he'll come for me. I says, he's coming for a perfect church. How can he come for you and your imperfection? She said, well, I've been justified by faith. That's true. She, she has been, we have been justified by faith. You all have been justified by faith, correct? Now, but I want you to understand I'd like you to really hear what the Spirit is saying. I got to get my Bibles out here so I can, so I can preach. I want to read something out of First Thessalonians, <clears throat> chapter five, verse twenty-three, and I want to read out of the Amplified. It, it describes it so perfectly. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, may he separate you from every carnal limitation. And may your whole soul, or your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved sound and complete and blameless and perfect at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way I read this, and I want to read it out of the New American Standard also, because, so that we get what I'm trying to say. Would you let me use your lap as a... The New American Standard says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To me, it sounds like that it should already have arrived. Doesn't that sound that way to you? It sounds like that that my spirit and my soul body is already complete at the point of his coming. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews 4. We had quite a rap session last night. You did so good with me. I asked about 10,000 questions. Got 10,000 answers. Look at Hebrews 4. <clears throat> Therefore, let us have a godly fear. 
lest while he promised remains of unrighteousness entering into his rest, that any of you should come short of the promise. Let us have, let us be fearful, lest a promise remains of entering into his rest, that any of us should come short of fulfillment in it. Do you know of anybody that has that kind of fear? Anybody know that? Anybody that has that kind of fear? We talk about the fear of God, and the only way that I've heard it expressed, it's a reverential fear to love God. I think when you, a, a real healthy fear of God is that it so motivates you <clears throat> that you order your life so that you don't displease him or else. Does that make anything? I, I'm, I'm almost, the more that I grow in Christ, the more fearful I become. Because now, the more requirements he's asking, and the more quickly I can miss the mark. Does that make sense? Yep. So I'm growing daily in a healthy fear. Amen. And last night I suggested to you, I wanted you to get you an old cheap Bible, and start at Matthew 1.1 1, 1 and go all the way through Revelation 22, 21. And every promise that you read, or every context of subject matter, ask yourself, has this scripture been fulfilled within my experience? If it's not, take a Crayola and black it out. Then when you get through, I want you to look at the Bible and see how much is fulfilled within your experience. I also told you last night about a vision that I had in 1983, where a huge, huge angel flew, kept flying through midheaven, quoting the scriptures and the promises out of the New Testament saying this, this scripture or these scriptures must be literally fulfilled within your experience for you to qualify to be received and accepted by the Lord to remain alive by his coming. Isn't that a, isn't that a tremendous remark? So, and then in 1 Peter it says that he's given us great and exceeding precious promises that by those promises we can, can become the partakers of the divine nature escaping corruption that comes in the world because of lust. Now, do you know what corruption is? Huh? It's, uh, is, would, you, would you say that that's that, that stuff you get when you meet Mr. Rigor Mortis? <laughs> you know what rigor mortis is that stuff that's the stuff that makes you stiff when you're dead <laughs> cold and stiff <laughs> wouldn't you say that's true but the word the word corruption in the Greek is thora and it means you can escape all inflicted destructions and all spontaneous degenerative decay. Now let me explain that. All inflicted destructions is if I was to take a, a knife or a sword to stick you through, or take a 45 and bang, 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 if you can be filled with the experienced substance faith of the promises, I can stick you through and through and never kill you. Or I could shoot you full of a thousand holes and never kill you. Can you imagine the magnitude of that kind of experience in God? 
This is what the promises fulfilled within the believer will do. It will make you absolutely immune to indestructibility, or in, immune to destructibility. It will make you invincibly so pure and complete in God, and you know you can't kill God. But all the promises are the very substance of his own experience reproduced in you. So if you can't kill God, it can't kill you. Isn't that true? And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, The promises are yea and amen to those that believe. Now I just finished reading here in Hebrews 4. Let us have a healthy fear, a healthy godly fear, lest a promise remains of entering into his rest. What do you think his rest is? What do you think his rest is? Can you say it again? What is his rest? Whose rest? God's rest. What, let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering into his rest. What is his rest? His kingdom. His rest really is the very fullness of himself in you. Wouldn't that be? Rest is another word for Sabbath, and he's our Sabbath, correct? But now let's look at the second verse. Now let's go through this very carefully. For indeed we have had good news preached to us. Now who's the we? And who's the us? Huh? The body of Christ. Just as they also, who is they? Just as they also, who is the they? We know, we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also, who is the they? All of the believers in Jehovah on the other side of the cross. We, the believers on this side of the cross, have had the good news preached to us just as they, all the believers in Jehovah on the other side of the cross. But listen to this. But the word that they heard, the word that the believers on the other side of the cross heard, did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith when they heard it. Now you all agree. What was the consequences to them when they did not mix faith with the word that they heard? Hebrews 11:13. All of these believers on the other side of the cross died in faith without receiving the promises. That was the consequences of them not mixing faith that Jehovah gives with the word when they heard it, correct? And then look at verse 39. And all of these believers on the other side of the cross, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But the New Testament says that Jesus, well, let's go to 1 Peter again, or 2 Peter 1. We have to get this established very thorough in your thinking. Let's go to verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, what is these now? By these. We have to go back to verse 3 and see what, verse, what, what I've just read, what these are. These is his divine power. These is his life. 
these is his godliness, these is the true knowledge of him, these is his own glory and excellence. By these things of Christ, he has granted to us everything, his precious and magnificent promises in order that by experiencing the fulfillment of them promises, we can escape the corruption that comes in the world because of lust. What is he saying? He's saying if you can mix faith with all the promises, you can become indestructible. Are you, are you understanding that? If you can mix faith with all the promises, you can become incorruptible. All right? Now, what was the problem of the people on the other side of the cross? Why did they die in faith and not receive the promises? What was their problem? Huh? Christ had not come yet. Yes, but why did they die in faith without receiving the promises? All right, now, see, Christ had not died yet. How about Enoch? See, Enoch walked by, by faith. Enoch walked with God. And he was not because he had this testimony. He pleased God. For God took him. Now, Enoch didn't have any promises. They didn't have any scriptures at that time. There was no known promises. But Enoch, by faith, Enoch walked with God. All of the pre-cross people, by faith, they all walked with God. Correct? But even though they all walked, by, uh, walked with God by faith, they died in faith and still didn't receive the promises except one guy. No, two guys. Enoch and Elijah. Now, you have to realize that the promises have always existed in God. They've always been. They've never been lost. Do you understand? Amen. What did Enoch do to, to be a was-not Christian or a has-been believer on the earth? He broke into the realm of the Holy Spirit. He heard of him a word, believed it, and he was not. Do you understand that? Now, how about the, all the other believers besides Enoch and Elijah? What was, why did they die in faith and not receive the promises? You've all confessed because they, they, the Christ had not died yet and he had not given the promises. That's true. But the promises were still available in Jehovah. Enoch and Elijah proved that. But what was their problem? The scripture says, in, in Hebrews 3, let's look at that. The scripture has all the answers. I'm going to lay this on your lap again, Scott. Verse, Hebrews 3, verse 19. And so we see that they did, were not able to enter because of unbelief. The reason why they, they died in faith without receiving the promises was because of unbelief, correct? Yes. Now let me ask you now, we're getting into, let's go now to this age. Do you know of any believer that has not died? Do you know of any believer that's not died? Who? 
No, I mean from the cross till now, to this generation. Then we could say all the believers on this side of the cross have also died in faith without receiving the promises. Isn't that a surprise? Is that true? That's true, isn't it? So here, we can be very smug and say, all them believers on the other side of the cross died in faith without receiving the promises because they did not mix faith with the word when they heard it. Then we also have to say, all the believers on this side of the cross died in faith without receiving the promises because they too have not mixed faith when they heard it. Wow. Too heavy for us? Okay, you have a question. Yes. This side, when you say this side. Of the cross. Right. Since Jesus died, right? Jesus died. So that we already have eternal life in yes. Christ Jesus. Yes. So if we die, we, we die, die in, in faith. In Him, in, in eternal life yes. in Christ Jesus. Uh huh. So I, I don't understand it. Maybe I'm not understanding it. All right, okay. Lord, let's just pray. God, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation here now. Because what I'm trying to show you is that the failure of the believers on the other side of the cross has been exceeded in sin by us. Their sin was unbelief, and our sin has been the same unbelief. Even though we've died, we shall yet live, correct? In Christ. But did you ever hear what Jesus said in John 11? Oh, here's a, here's a bomb. Uh, we'll, we'll give you the whole context of the story. Remember, uh, uh, Lazarus got sick. And so when he got sick, Jesus was someplace else preaching and teaching. And uh, they come to him and said, Lazarus is sick. But he knew by the revelation of the Lord that Lazarus was sick unto death. And so he told his, disi his disciples, he said, now, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, it's going to be all right. He said, no, I mean Lazarus is dead. But he didn't get any hurry to go to him. He waited two more days before he even started to leave. And then it took him two more days to get there where Lazarus was in the tomb, correct? And as he began to approach the tomb, Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, your brother shall live again. Martha said, no, I know, Jesus, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, wait a minute, Mary, or Martha. I'm the resurrection here right now. I'm the resurrection right here this day, this moment. And if you will believe, if you believe in me, he shall live even if he die. What did it say? She said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. That's what you've just told me. Now I wonder if you really believe this. But everyone who is alive and believes in me shall never have to die. Then he says, do you believe this? Have you heard what I've said? Yeah. He's saying, 
If you believe in him and die, you shall let live again. But what about somebody coming along and say, I'm the resurrection and the life in his name, resurrects you back to life. But even more severe, he says, if you're a living believer and you believe in me, you don't ever have to die. Do you believe this? But we don't know of anybody that's ever believed it with faith. We have 100% history that every believer in Christ from the cross has died in faith because he or she did not experience the substance faith of the promises. Are you understanding that? Now I have told you, and it's very important that you understand what, try to understand what I'm saying, because, you see, people believe in dying much more than they believe in living. They, they, they really believe in dying much more than they believe in living, yes. I just want to ask one question. Yes. What was the purpose then of Jesus dying? All right, that's a good question. What was the purpose of Jesus dying and resurrecting? His vicarious work on the cross was threefold. Number one, he became sin that we might become righteous. Number two, he himself took our sicknesses and diseases that we don't have to be sick. Number three, in Hebrews 2, 9 says, he tasted death for every man so that we don't have to die. Does that mean in the spiritual or in the natural? All right. Does that mean in the spiritual or the natural? All right. When Adam, when Adam sinned, remember he was immortal at the time. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually, and his physical body took 900 years to die. Now, when you become born again, you come alive spiritually, and you should live your life into life, not death. Amen. Correct? Amen. Jesus said, if you are a living believer and you believe in me, you don't have to die. Amen. But you see, I had a woman stand up in the audience and speak to me one time, and this is why I want you to, uh, to get these books out here. I'm the only one who has them in print. This will teach the whole doctrine of what I'm saying. You see, but I, I had, a, and, and really, Jesus' provision at the cross was threefold, remember? To take our sins, to take our sickness, and take our death. Now, some people believe he took your sins, but a lot of people don't think he took our sicknesses, and even a lot less think that he took our death. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if you'll understand the way that God works, he does everything in three. The vicarious work, work of the cross with threefold. But I'm trying to get, I don't want to get into that doctrine right now. What I want to really show you is that all the believers that we know of, we don't have any substantiated documented evidence that anybody has ever lived their life into life on this side of the cross, although the provision of the cross made it available in the provision of the Spirit for you to live your life into life. Not live your life into death. People are dying because they believe in death. But maybe you ought to start living so you can believe in life. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay? Now, I sure didn't want to get into this side of this. Side of the, what I'm trying to say is, our sin as believers is more severe than the sin of the believers on the other side of the cross. 
because their sin of unbelief was under the blood of bulls and goats. Our sin of unbelief is under the blood of Jesus Christ. And our sin is worse and we need to repent. Are you understanding this? I had a, a famous television preacher that you all would know if I would mention his name. He was, uh, he was tell, telling about what his goal was in Christ. And he said, my goal as a minister of Christ is to, uh, to as be as good a Christian as I can, to preach as well as I can, and die and go to heaven. I grabbed my head. I grabbed my head like this. <clears throat> I was in the bathroom and I heard it. I said, oh God, how dumb can that man be? Yet eight million people were believing, were listening to him, and they were saying, Amen. Isn't that a wonderful goal? The guy, it was infantile. It was ridiculous. It was deception and error beyond all the word of the Lord. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But people believe that kind of lies. You're living in the, you're living in the last generation. Paul talked about, and those who are remaining alive by the coming of the Lord, doesn't he? And I'll say this as a seer, by that time, two-thirds of all living Christians will already be dead when that scripture is fulfilled. Do you understand that? And I won't, I'm just speaking as a seer, and I'm not going to get into that, explaining that now. I have some of my newsletter coming out with those facts now. Now listen, what I'm trying to say is, just because you're justified by faith, because you're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, because you're born again, does not ensure that you will be alive at the coming of the Lord, does not ensure that, you're go that, that he's going to come for you except only through the death and resurrection. But I got a message for, you, for him to come to you even before all of this because you are perfect. All right? Spirit, soul, and body. That your whole sp spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body can be preserved blameless as he is blameless. Perfect as he is perfect. Righteous as he is righteous. Holy as he is alive. Complete as he is complete. If you know what the word of the Lord is and how to live it. All right? Well, now we seem to get someplace. Now, I've just, I've just explained to you the scripture commands us to have a healthy fear lest there is a promise that exists that we don't become the fulfillment of it. And I have to admit, I don't know of hardly anybody that really is has too much of a concern that they're not becoming fulfilled with the scriptures. They're, they're hoping along. Everybody is telling you, trust in the Lord, believe in the Lord. He cares for you. He loves you. But they're all dying in faith, not experiencing the substance faith of the promises. Why? Because of unperceived, unacknowledged, unadmitted unbelief. Okay? Is this too severe? Well, they call me a false prophet for teaching things like that. Well, listen, Peter talked about that there is a salvation to be revealed at the last time that is going to be salvation to the uttermost. <laughs> Not O-T-H-E-R, U-T-T-E-R. In other words, there's going to be so much salvation in you that there can't be any room for improvement. 
There's going to be so much of Jesus in you that there can't be any room for improvement. Now, it will not happen automatically because you believe. It will not happen automatically because you confess it. It will happen only because you know how to look away unto Jesus so that he can author and finish the substance of his own faith in you. It will only happen because you know how to do the abiding in him so that you can hear, receive the frame of word which gives you his faith and you confess the frame of word as you will and it will leap into existence. If you don't do the abiding, it won't happen. If you don't do the looking away unto him, it won't happen. I'm afraid that what we, what we really believe, we believe in the promises and we believe in faith, but we never experience faith. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, if you experience faith, what would you become? Scripture says, now faith, right now, you know what now is? Now faith is the substance of the thing that we're believing. All right? Now, here's the promise. If you're a living believer and you believe in me, you don't, know how, you don't have to die. Then he says, do you believe this? Why, sure, but do we believe it with his appropriated faith? Do you understand? We say, yeah, I believe it, but do you know of anybody that's ever experienced it? No, they all have died in faith because they believed in faith thinking that that was faith. They confessed faith thinking that was faith. Listen, if Jesus don't give you the faith, you don't get it. Are you understanding? This book on the real faith here, this to me is the only book that I have ever read besides the Bible that understands and presents clearly what the faith of God is. You read Mark, have the faith, the King James said, have faith in God. But you look, at, look it up in the Greek and it says, have the faith of God. Now last night we talked about my faith, your faith, our faith. Did you ever hear anybody say, exercise your faith, brother, or have faith? Well, you certainly don't want, I don't want your faith, and you certainly don't want my faith, and we don't want our faith. I would like to have his. I would like to have his added to yours. I'd like to have his faith added to my faith, and I'd like to have his faith added to our faith, because everybody has believed that our faith is the same as his. It's not. His faith is his faith. And our faith is our faith. But I guarantee you, your faith ain't going to work very much. But his faith will work all of himself in you. Amen. Am I getting too loud here? Do <laughs> I get too loud? Just go like this. <laughs> all right, now Hebrews 11.40. I want you to look at it. I've just shared to you, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, that, that the command of God is for you and you and you and you, each one of us, to have a healthy fear that there be a promise of God that we come short of becoming experientially fulfilled with it. Then verse 2, it says, all of them people on the other side of the cross, they never experienced the promises because they never mixed faith with it. Then I've just shared with you, too, that all the people on this side of the cross have been guilty of the same sin of unbelief. They have not mixed faith that Jesus gives. 
with the promises when they have heard it. Are you understanding this? And so the consequence is that all the people on the other side of the cross, they died in faith because they didn't experience the faith substance of the promises. Then it stands true all the people on this side of the cross have also died in faith because they too have not experienced the faith substance of the promises. Does that make sense? And Hebrews 11, and, and, all of these, and all of these people on the other side of the cross, they gained a good approval through their faith, through their faith, through their faith, not his faith, but through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. And all the believers on this side of the cross have died in faith through their faith and still haven't received what was promised. What is promised? If you believe in me and you're alive, you don't ever have to die. So, there, so our problem has been the same unbelief. Look at verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us. Now what is the better? Well, let's go. I'm glad you asked me. I'll use your lap this time, okay? Hebrews 7. Let's go to that. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. Listen to this. Verse 9. But, beloved, we are convinced of a better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. Hebrews 7, verse 19, it says, On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope. Hebrews 7, verse 22, So much more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews 8, verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Hebrews, Hebrews 9, verse 12, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. Here we got a better blood. And Hebrews uh, 9, Verse 23, it was necessary for the copies of the things of heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. So here we have a better covenant, we have a better surety, we have a better hope, we have better promises, we have a better blood. And Hebrews 11:40, that God provided something better for us, for all those people that died on the other side of the cross cannot be made perfect without us. And all the people that have died prior to your living lifetime have died in faith without receiving the promises. But still the promise stands, God provided something better for us. What do we do? Somebody comes and they die, either a baby or on up to old age. They put him in a box, cry a lot of grief tears on him, say, boy, that was such a great man of God. When the promises was, if you're alive and you believe in me, you really don't have to die. We have not mixed faith with that promise. Because we believe in death more than we believe in life. We're believing a lie. Jesus, Jesus abolished death. Do you know that? First Timothy. Oh my. I would like to have got into something more simple here. Second Timothy 1.10. Look at this. But now, anybody know when now is? But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who abolished death. What did he do? What did he abolish? What kind of death? Spirit, he abolished spiritual death, he abolished moral death, and he abolished physical death. Didn't he? Hebrews 2.9 says he tasted death for every man. Listen, people say, well, he's talking about spiritual death. It doesn't say spiritual death. He just says death. Death is death in any realm. And life is life in any realm, correct? And he said, uh, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. I was preaching to a bunch of Catholics up in uh, Three Rivers, Massachusetts. <laughs> there was one little old Catholic lady. She was listening to this. She says, oh, I wish that was so true. <laughs> but it is true. I had a woman stand up in front of me or stand up out in the audience when I was preaching on this one time in Clear Lake, Iowa. She said, but I want to die. I says, be my guest. Believe like you believe, think like you think, live like you live, guaranteed. You could do it without faith. <laughs> and that's exactly, you're all going to die unless you can get a hold of Jesus' faith, unless you can get a hold of the promises and the faith of those promises into your experience. And you're all going to be imperfect unless you can get a hold of the perfection of Jesus Christ in your experience. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, just for example, listen to this. You therefore shall be perfect even as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. No, he can't mean that. <laughs> no, he can't really. He can't mean you as perfect as a heavenly Father. Can you imagine? Think about how perfect the heavenly Father is. Me as perfect as the heavenly Father. No, he don't mean that. Your mind will fight it. Well, maybe after death. Maybe at rapture, but remember I've told you at the rapture, if you ain't perfect, you ain't being raptured. Did you hear what I said? He's, if you're going to be raptured, you're going to have to be perfect at that moment when he comes. Otherwise, you'll have to be saved down through death and up through the resurrection. Which way would you like to go? You want to go the way of the rapture? How high do you want to go? You want to go up with him in the clouds? <laughs> See, how many want to go up in the clouds? How many don't want to go up in the clouds? How many don't know where you want to go? How many would like to not go any place? <laughs> how many haven't even got arms that you can raise? How many got broken arms? How many are just afraid to lift your arms? Is anybody here? <laughs> Let me see. Has anybody got... Lift your left arm high. No. Lift your, get your arm up there. Keep it up there. I want to see if you all got arms. <laughs> How come they wasn't working a while ago when I was asking them questions? <laughs> now listen to me. The promises are yea and amen to those who believe. But you have to believe with appropriated faith. 
you can't believe in faith, you have to believe with appropriated faith. Now, how do you get appropriated faith? How do you get the substance of faith for a promise? Let's say that you need to be healed. So I go around, by your stripes I'm healed. By your stripes I'm healed. I know people have been confessing by your stripes I've been healed for 20 years and they still haven't got healed. I know believers that have been confessing promises for needs for 20 years and they still haven't got the promise. So, so confession doesn't bring the result. But what brings the result? Faith brings the result. And how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. And that by hearing what? What kind of word? The rhema word. The rhema word. Last night I titled that tape, The Logos Word Must Be Changed Into the Rhema Word Before You Can Experience a Faith's Result. Did you hear what I'm saying? This written word is a Logos word. You're hearing me speak the Logos word. But if all, it only gets as far as that pretty little head of yours, it still won't produce faith. But if you can kind of let it go a little bit deeper, past that pretty little head of yours, go through your heart into your spirit where Jesus lives, and there he quickens it and makes it rhema, and it comes back out, and you hear it as faith now, and you say what you hear, and it leaps into existence. That's only the time that confession is possession. If you confess your way to get faith, you'll never get it. But if you confess your way from imparted faith, you'll always have it. Did you understand that? Can I give you a little, little story? And I've told this many times, but I don't think that I've told it to you. I've never had a failure. I've always had an immediate answer when I have heard the frame of word. Whenever I have acted upon a need from the rhema, I have never had a delayed answer. It appears or happens right this moment. When I've, when I've acted upon a need uh, by recalling some scripture out of my memories, let's say that you have need of healing, scripture says that you should lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Didn't you say pray for them? You said lay hands on them. But you don't recover. But as I began to stretch forth my hand and I heard the rhema, you shall lay hands upon the sick and you shall recover. You'd be recovered right that moment. Do you understand? So we have thought name it to, and claim it gets it. No. Hear it and confess it and you possess it. It don't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. But people haven't learned how to live on the inside. They've always confessed the word of the Lord from the outside. And what I'm speaking to you from the outside won't produce faith unless you let it get on the inside. And the problem that keeps it from getting in the inside is your head, your mind. So Jesus taught the principle, except a man deny his mind, or except a man lose his mind, he cannot find life. You ever read that? Luke 9, 23. Except a believer take up the cross daily and deny his self or his life, he cannot find my life. Let's read it this way. Except a believer take up the daily work of the cross and deny his suke, his mind, he cannot find my pneuma, my life, or my zoe. The first life is suke, the second life is zoe. 
The first life, suke, is your mind. The second life, zoe, is his life. Except you deny your mind, except you lose your mind, you will never find my life. Here's a couple of albums, losing and denying the self-life. I wouldn't advise you to get too many of them because it'll just ruin you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would teach you how to deny your self-life, how to lose your mind. Brother said to us, he said, well, I'm not very far from it now. <laughs> I'll tell you this story that I started to tell you. If I set this water down, you won't drink it, will you? <laughs> if I catch you, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's got a prophet's holy water in there. <laughs> I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was boarding an airplane to fly to Baltimore for my next meeting. And for some reason, they kept sitting there and sitting there. It was getting very hot and musty in there because they had disconnected the plane from the power supply of fresh air. Pretty soon they announced that the flight had been canceled into Baltimore due to ground fog in Baltimore that was so heavy, all flights in and out were canceled, and it was so thick that the, the air, airport tower could not even see the parking lot lights uh, where they parked the cars. And I was sitting by a, a little old lady. She must have been about 85 years old. And when they were on two seats, and I'm sitting there praying. I wasn't even paying much attention to what they were saying. And she says, young man, she gave me such a blessing. <laughs> you take a look. After all, I'm doing pretty good for being 120, don't you? Don't you think I'm doing pretty good? She says, young man, how could you be so calm? I says, oh, that's easy. How is it easy? I'm abiding in another source. She says, abiding in another source? She says, what kind of source is that? I says, his name is Jesus. She says, everybody's got to have a religion. I says, no, 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 no. I'm not, not talking about a religion. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, your creator and my creator. She goes, who, again. So then they announced over the speaker that the, all the pastors may deboard and go out into the lobby of the airport there and wait and check back with him in an hour. So I go over and I sit down in a seat about five feet from the check-in stand, and I'm sitting there praying. I wasn't praying about going to Baltimore. I had a lot of other birds to make intercession about. I don't think I had sat there five minutes, and the rhema interfered with my prayer life. <laughs> Can you imagine God interfering with my prayer life? Now, the rhema is the voice of Jesus inside. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And this is what the rhema said. He said, did you ever th think about asking the Heavenly Father to go over to Baltimore and remove the fog? So I, I thought back in answer. I said, well, no, I didn't. Then I followed through. I said, Heavenly Father, it would be wonderful if you'd go over to Baltimore and remove that fog. And because I had a rhema, faith comes by hearing and that by hearing the rhema. I knew that 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 there was no more fall. And then I, I was really rejoicing. And then the Ramah says, now remember, they said, check back with us an hour. And I hadn't been out there five minutes. The Ramah said, and exactly five minutes, they're going to reinstate the flight. So I have a stopwatch. 
So I set my stopwatch to see if God lied. And you know the scripture says God don't lie. Guess what? To the exact second, this, the lady in uniform picked up the microphone, said, all the pastors on flight so-and-so that were going to Baltimore, you may now reboard the plane because the flight has been reinstated. So here I am skipping down the ramp, rejoicing. I've got a ring word. I'm going to Baltimore. No fault. And I sit down by my little old lady friend. And we sat there. Do you know what I mean by walls? You know what? You know when you fight? How you get walls between you? Well, I hadn't had a fight with her, but we had, here we were, elbow to elbow, 10 feet of walls between us. And I'm sitting there minding my own business, rejoicing in God that we're going to Baltimore. And she interfered again. She says, young man gave me a double portion that night. Twice he called me a young man. She says, I've lived in Baltimore for 35 years. And I've never ever seen the fog lift any one night it ever came up until the, fog, until the sun began to shine in the morning and burn it off. And I chuckled to myself, she don't know my rhema. And then the rhema said to me, and when you get to Baltimore, I want you to run outside and look up and see if you can find any clouds, but the, the stars will be shining very clearly. And I turned to her and said, you know what Jesus just told me? Now, she didn't say whoop or anything. She was very silent, so I assumed that she wanted to hear. I said, Jesus just told me for you and I, when we get there, for us to run outside and look up, look up in the sky and see if we can find any clouds. And there won't be anything but clear sky and shining stars. So you go, whoop. <laughs> that was our last conversation. <laughs> and so I'm waiting. It takes about... From the time that I prayed to the time that we landed was an hour and a half time because I still had my stopwatch going. And uh, so the people, I went down to the baggage area and all the people that was meeting me, they was excited about meeting me. They had their hands out and all smiles and I just sidestepped them and I run outside and I looked up and guess what? Stars. No fog, clear sky, shining stars and I come back in and said, what's the matter with you? I said, I thought it was foggy over there. It said, foggy? An hour and a half ago, we couldn't even see each other across the street. An hour and a half ago was when I prayed. Now, I could tell you stories like that all night long. In fact, probably for 30, 40, 50, 60 days. Would you like to stay here that long? About the rhema. We have never taught the people how to hear the rhema. We've only taught them to learn the logos. We've only taught them to recall the logos for a need out of our memories. And we're only getting about from three to five percent results, if that much. Every one of you have probably experienced more failures in your prayer requests than you have successes. But if you would learn to live and walk in the spirit, remember how we talked about that last night? Where do you learn to live and walk in the Spirit? Do you remember? Yes. We abide in the Word. Yeah, but where do you live in the Spirit? Yeah, you're, you're pointing in there. All you got to do is say is inside, sister. Are you lost for words? I'll help you preach it. <laughs> she, 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 she was just standing there stuttering quietly. <laughs> now, do you understand this? 
We have not taught the people how to live in their spirit. The scripture gives a command, if you live in your spirit, walk in your spirit. Now don't you realize that if you can live in your spirit, you have a constant communion with Rhema? And if you have a constant communion with Rhema, you have a constant impartation of his faith in you? If you live and walk in the spirit where he is, where he moves, and where he exists, and where he has his being, you're living in the realm of his life, and of his provision, and of his substance, of his experience, of his perfection. And remember, last night I think we went through it, uh, I don't know if anybody knows how to live and walk in the spirit very well. You cannot live and walk in the Spirit and ever have a failure. You cannot live and walk in the Spirit and, and, and have a delayed answer. Did Jesus ever have a delayed answer? No. Did he get an answer to every request? Amen. Well, why did he get an answer to every request? Because he lived and walked in the Spirit. In his Spirit, where the Word was incarnate. Don't you know that the word Jesus, the living word Jesus, is in your spirit? And if you can live in your spirit, you're living in Christ, you're abiding in Christ, and you hear Christ, and you hear his faith, and you have his faith, and you say what he says, and it leaps into existence. Amen. If we would teach the people what to do to live in the spirit and how to do it. Amen? <clears throat> now, let's, I'm not going to, I'm going to save some time of having you turn. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me into the world, so have I sent you into the world. Now read the Gospels and you'll see exactly what Jesus, how he was sent. He was sent into the world to seek and to save which is lost. He was sent into the world to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, and cast out devils. And he never failed. He never failed, did he? He always had instant results. And sometimes we're lucky if we get an answer maybe in 20 years. And a lot of times we get an answer a lot less than what we've asked. And he taught us, if you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. But you see, that word name, we've, we've taught that this means his authority. That's true. But can, if you can ask anything in his nature which includes authority, which includes his life, which includes his faith, which includes his perfection. If you ask anything in my nature, I'll do it. But if you ask it out of your nature, your mind, he can't do it. He's not interested, the Father's not interested in answering you. He's interested in answering his son. You understand? So, Scripture says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now turn to John 3.13. I want you to look at that. And I, I'm not going to get all the answers tonight. But is it, has it been made clear now that Jesus is coming for a perfect church? And if you aren't perfect, he can't come for you, except through death and resurrection? Do you understand that now? 
and that the only way that you're going to get perfection is to live and walk in your spirit where perfection is. And when you live and walk in the spirit where perfection is, then he is also going to quicken your mind to be his mind, and the mind of Christ don't know any failures. Scripture says we have the mind of Christ, but the mind of Christ is in Christ Jesus in your spirit. Your mind is in you, in your soul. And our mind has been sitting on the throne of our life, playing like God, acting like God, thinking like God, talking like God, but never having God's results. Ever learning about God, but never coming to the experience of truth. John 3.13. Let's look at the sun here now. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. What's Jesus doing here? Have you got your Bible open? What's he doing there? Can you see him doing anything? While you're thinking about that, where in the world is heaven? Where's heaven? Where's heaven? Where's heaven? Don't you think that if you're going to go to heaven, you better find out where it is? Huh? How many of you want to die and go to heaven? Shame on you. After all this preaching... <laughs> why not live? Why not live and be heaven? Huh? Where is heaven? It's inside of you. Hallelujah. So you don't want to die to get there. You want to live to be there or to be it. Correct? Now, we, we, you hear about the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. I hear preachers, theologians teach that the fir first heaven is the air around us and the second heaven is about around the Milky Way stars and the third heaven is beyond that. And Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven, and he was supposedly then caught up to beyond the Milky Way someplace, correct? Amen. <laughs> well, he said, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know which, but I was caught up to the third heaven into the paradise of God. Now, where is the third heaven, the paradise of God? Huh? Anybody know? It's inside of you. <laughs> I've been there in paradise more than once. And I had the sensation that I was going up, but I also had the realization that I wasn't going anywhere. Do you understand that? So whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know what. I was out of the body, but was not out of the body. I was in the body, but was not in the body. Have I got you confused? Just a little bit, huh? Listen, don't you realize that heaven, when, it, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's talking about the state of omnipresence, which is everywhere. We know that there's the physical heavens and omnipresence fills the, the physical heavens. But good gravy, don't you know that the spiritual heavens are all in you? Now you know that. Is, he, is Jesus Christ in the spiritual heavens? Well, where is Jesus Christ? He's in you. Hallelujah. Jesus went to paradise. Where did he go? He went to the omnipresence and then you got born again and omnipresence came in you. Correct? Yes, sir, didn't it? Didn't heaven come in you when Jesus Christ gave you a born-again experience? Uh -huh. Then you are in heaven, aren't you? Amen. Okay? But he wants your mind to become heavenly, and he wants your body to become heavenly. Correct? So he wants your mind to be renewed. And you get, it isn't by learning, it's by relationship. Are you understanding that? So what is, what is Jesus? No one has ascended into the state of omnipresence, but he who descended from the state of omnipresence. Is that where he came from? 
Didn't Jesus come from heaven? Into, into the, the body of Mary and was formed like a physical being and was born a human, a human being, was made a man. He said, no one can ascend into heaven until first he descended from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now here he was, he descended from heaven, came into the body of Mary, formed for nine months as a baby, was born, and ascended back to heaven, walking in the Spirit. Now he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. He wants you, now Jesus was walking right here on the earth as a man in heaven. He was walking right here on the earth in the Spirit. He was walking right here on earth in the intelligence of God. And then he said, I don't do a thing except what I see my father doing. Or I say only what I hear my father saying. But it wasn't something that he learned. It was something that the father was and the spirit was in his inner man. Correct? Does that make sense? Now I have to read out of the Amplified again. What did I do with my Bible? Well, here it is. Now listen to this. This is Jesus now. It's so exciting. John 5.30, listen to this. I'm going to read out the Amplified. Jesus says, I'm unable to do anything that originates from my mind. I cannot act independent of my Father. But as I am taught by God, and as I get his orders. Now, how was he taught by God? Where was God? God the Word was in him, Correct. He says, I'm, as I'm taught by the, the word in my inner man, I decide as he, the word, bids me to decide. Even as I hear, I make a, even as I hear his voice, I make his judgment. And my judgment is righteous because it's not mine, it's his. Because I have not consulted my intelligence. I'm not consulted my mind. I'm not consulted my memories. Because I do not seek to consult my own will either. I have one desire to do, to do, I have no desire to do what is pleasing to my mind. My aim and my purpose to do only the will of the Father that has sent me. Now he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. If Jesus couldn't do anything except he saw what the Father's doing, then if you don't learn to do it like he did it, you're not going to have much success unless you can see what the Father's doing. And he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Then if he says, now the Father has sent me, that I really can't do a thing except I see what the Father's doing, then he wants you to learn how to also walk in the Spirit so that you can see what he's doing. Correct? And if he said, now I can't, I can't originate anything out of my mind or my memories, but I only originate that what I hear my father saying. And as I hear his voice, he bids me to decide with his decision. And I make a judgment, and it's righteous, for it's not mine, but it's his. For I have purposed, I've not consulted my intelligence, my mind, my memories, my reason, my logic, my smartness. I've consulted my father inside of me. Correct? Okay? Now, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So he was walking in the spirit. He was walking in the spirit. Amen. Now he wants you to learn to walk in the spirit. That's right. Now, if you don't learn to learn to live and walk in your spirit, you're not going to have his success. 
You're not going to be able to fulfill the scripture as the Father sent me in the world, so send I you in the world. He wants you to be taught not only what to believe, but what to do so that you live and walk in the Spirit, and how to do it that, so when you do do it, you start getting the answers like he got them. And you start getting the results like he got them. When I was in Baltimore and I heard the rhema, hey, he told me, he says, what? You ever think about asking the Father to go over there and remove the fog? No, I didn't. But because I had a rhema, I responded. I said, Father, would you go to Baltimore and remove the, rhema, remove the fog? It was done. It was gone. Because faith, his faith comes by hearing. I heard the rhema. I confessed the rhema and it was done. Do you understand that? And you and I have got to learn to hear the rhema. Faith comes by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing the rhema, and that by hearing the rhema, correct? Therefore, if you abide in me and my rhema abides in you, you shall ask it, confess it as you will, it shall be done to you. We haven't been taught how to do the abiding. We haven't been taught how to live and walk in the Spirit. We haven't been taught what to do and how to do it so that we can hear the rhema. We are hearing logos, but we never have learned to hear the rhema. Am I making sense? This is almost a new gospel to some people. If you never learn to live and walk in the Spirit like Jesus is, then you're going to act like God, think like God, talk like God, act like God, but never have God's results. But if you can live and walk in the Spirit, you'll always have God's results. No failure, all right? Praise the Lord. Now, let's look at another scripture. Hebrews 5.14. Strong meat belongs to those who are of full age. And I want to close this down. Strong meat belongs to those who are of full age who by reason of use have their senses trained. Now what senses is he talking about? What senses is he talking about? <laughs> you just going to smile at me? <laughs> Let's see, I'm going to go back here. What senses is he talking about, Brother Joel? Spiritual. Spiritual senses. You all agree? Strong meat belongs to those who have their senses trained. Strong meat belongs to those who have their spiritual senses trained. Does anybody know what your spiritual senses are? Do you know what your spiritual senses are? You don't know? See, that's a good, honest answer. You don't have to be afraid of saying, I don't know. Well, how in the world, if you don't know your spiritual senses, there's no way you can train with them, correct? Now we go on and finish the scripture, who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Strong meat belong to those who have their spiritual senses trained, who by reason of use have their spiritual senses exercised. Now, do you know what your physical senses are? What are your physical senses? Eyes, ears, nose, taste, and touch. Does anybody know what your mind senses are? How many of you went to school? <laughs> huh? Your mind senses is your intellect, your reason, your emotions, and your feeling, and your will. But what are your spiritual senses? Now, if you want to exercise your will, you decide to come to church tonight. If you want to exercise your mind, you open up a book and you read it. If you want to exercise your physical senses, you open your baby brown eyes. 
If you want to listen to somebody talk, you listen. But what are your spiritual senses? If you don't know what your spiritual senses are, how can you practice with them? How can you exercise them? How can you use them? How can you train with them? No wonder no one has ever grown up in Christ because you've got nobody that's taught you not only what your spiritual senses are, they have not taught you how to train with them. You went to school and somebody taught you to train with your eyes and your ears and with your mind to learn. But now you have to go to school to teach you how to train with your spiritual senses. And they are not your mind senses. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural mind cannot receive the things of God, cannot know the things of God, cannot experience the things of God. They are spirit ascertained. Now your mind can learn the things of God, but cannot knowingly experience the things of God. Therefore, that's why we got 1987 years of ever learning about God, but never coming to the experience of truth. The reason why we haven't become to the experience of truth is because we've learned about God from the outside into our mind instead of from the inside to the outside into our mind. Now it's about time that you begin to realize that your spirit has all the senses that your physical body has. The son can do nothing of himself except he sees what the father's doing. I say only what I hear my father saying. He said, taste of the Lord and see that it is good. Another scripture says, we are a sweet fragrance unto God. Another scripture says, handle me for a spook or a spirit has not flesh and bone such as I have. So now I've shown you the five physical senses are the same five spiritual senses in your spiritual man. But the scripture says that you have to train your spiritual eyes to see, your spiritual ears to hear, your spiritual nose to smell, your spiritual nose to taste, and your spiritual hands to handle. Also, your spirit has all of the faculties of your soul. There is a, an intelligence of God. He said, my thinking is higher than your thinking. My ways are higher than your thinking. Just because you think like God and talk like God doesn't mean it's God. But when you think like God thinks in your spirit, it will be God. When you see like God sees in your spirit, it will be God. When you hear like God speaks in your spirit, you will hear like God and you will hear Rhema and you will have his faith. Does that make sense? But the command is that you have to do the training. You have to do the exercising. You have to do the practicing. Who is there that's teaching you how to use your spiritual eyes to see? How to use your spiritual ears to hear? How to use your spiritual hands to touch? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, let me give you an example. Remember Elisha? He, he was sitting in his tent, and he was, warning, he was giving information to Israel how to ambush the Syrian army that was fighting them. The Syrian army commander, a king, come in among his, his commanders in, in, his, in his office chambers, and he said, which one of you guys is betraying us? And somebody said, no man, Lord, but Elisha the prophet hears what the king is saying in his bedchamber. Have you understood what it said? Here, Elisha is in his tent, in the spirit, and here this king is in his bedchamber telling plans on how they're going to send the army out. And Elisha is listening there 
from his tent into that king's chamber, and he hears the plans of the king, so he tells the Israelite commanders, now if you'll go ambush them here, it's because here's where they're coming, they destroyed them. Do you understand? Now would you like to know how he did that? No? Yes. <laughs> you didn't sound too enthusiastic. Now let me give you an example of Jesus. Remember when a disciple called Andrew, he, he had been with Jesus and he left Jesus and he went and got a, another disciple called Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. And he says, he's from Jesus, from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he brought him to Jesus. As he was coming to Jesus, Jesus said to him, behold, an Israelite whom there's no guile. And Daniel says, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, well, when, when, when Andrew come and got you under the fig tree, I saw you. How do you think Jesus did that? Huh? Now I'm talking to you about the exercising and the abilities of your spiritual senses. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Would you like to have a few more examples? Paul said, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know which. But I was caught up to the third heaven. But I've already taught you, the third heaven is not a place of distance out there someplace. The third heaven is inside of you. I've been there more than once. And I was going up, but I didn't go anywhere. Does that make sense? Amen. I was just going up to a higher form of life a higher form of intelligence in me. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not going to teach you them secrets tonight. I'm just holding them out before you. What I do want to teach you is, how are you going to grow up in Christ Jesus? You've got less than a decade to do it. Some of you have been in Christ probably as long as I have, and I've been in Christ for 29 years. Coming January, I start my 30th year. And you got less than a decade when everything is going to be finished. I'd be very su much surprised if it's beyond that. In fact, I'm teaching people that it could, the last three and a half years could start next year. In about September, October, or sometime after the elections. That means, if that's true, I'm not prophesying that, that you have a year to grow up. Isn't that kind of scary? The reason why I'm saying that is because the believers are masters at procrastinating. They live in a deception of a false trust that requires no responsibility on their part. The leaders are telling them, trust God, believe in God, hope in God, He loves you. Everything is all right. Everything's all peace. But what did He say? When it began to start telling you, everything is at peace, then sudden destruction. Now who's telling the people that everything is peaceful? Who's telling that? The leaders in the body of Christ. They're telling them everything is fine. Then why did Jesus say in an end time prophecy to Joel for the leaders to spend all night in prayer and fasting crying out to the Lord, spare thy people. 
Now, if everything's going to be all right for them, why does the word say, I want you to cry out to God all night, spare thy people? Now, Jesus gives some more commands. He said, now, in Luke 21, he says, now, concerning the, that whole chapter is the discourse of all the, the end time events. And in verse 36, he says, I want you to pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming to pass. You remember reading that? How many of you are praying that? Can I see your hands? So you got one man praying here. Praying. Jesus gives a command for when we start approaching the end of this age for you to exactly what to pray. And he tells you why. He tells you all the things that's going to happen. And he said, now I want you to pray that you can be counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming to pass. How many of you are praying that? I have one hand and I got two hands. Got three hands. My God, people, here he's telling you exactly what to pray, and he's telling you why to pray it. And you're not praying it. Do you think that you're going to be counted worthy to escape the things that come to pass if you're not praying it? Do you think? My gracious, no. And I'm getting about 1%, 1 out of 100, is praying, Lord, may we be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming to pass. But the leaders are telling them, you don't have to pray that way because everything's all right. Now I'm speaking more like a prophet. Jesus also in Matthew 24, he said, and that whole chapter has to do with all the discourse of the end time events. And he said, I want you to pray that your flight not be in the winter time. How many of you are praying that way? I got one hand. Why in the world would he tell you, give you a command to pray that you start praying that you, you, your, your flight will not be in the wintertime if he's not saying that there's a time coming when you're going to be in flight and you're going to be in flight but you pray that you don't be in flight in the wintertime. Why would he say that? Well, we won't get into the answers to that. Now listen to that. All the end time prophecies, the word says, for the leaders of the body of Christ to spend all night before God crying out to Lord, spare thy people. I don't know of any leader that's doing that. Wow. I don't know of hardly any people, maybe 1%, is praying, may we be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming to pass. I know even less believers that are praying, Lord, I pray that my flight will not be in the wintertime. What are you going to do about a scripture like that? Can I speak as a prophet? Every one of you are going to be put into a flight status before the close of this age. Every one of you. You better know what to do. And you better know how to live. If not, the winter man is coming. And you're going to have no home and no job. And you better know how to live in Christ. You better know how to be led by the Spirit. Are you understanding this? Now, you don't hear these things. Is this all right, Pastor? You want me to back off? The, the reason why I'm saying this, I'm trying to bring a message to you that there is a way to live so perfectly in Christ that even though 
everything is going wrong around about you, you can be invincibly immune from the winter time, from all destructions and all disasters. Am I making sense? And if you listen to my message, not the Sears message, but my teachings, I'll teach you exactly what to do. Now, one more thing that I've got to get to. Let's see how much time I got. Oh, oh I've run out of time here, haven't I? How do you live and walk in the Spirit? How do you do it so you really succeed? By hiding in Jesus. Now, you've just told me what you do. How do you do that? All right, you've just told me what you do. How do you do the abiding? Okay, follow the word. See, now you just told me what. I want to know how. See, now that's just, remember last night, I said, I want you to start asking three questions to anybody that you hear preaching. Are they teaching me, is he or she teaching me what to believe? Is she or he teaching me what to do with what I believe? And is he or she teaching me how to do what I have to do so that I believe and it works? And you're going to be surprised. Everybody's teaching us what, what to believe. And we're about 30,000 divisions in it. You'll find a few are teaching you what to do. They quote the scripture, be ye doers of the word, not only hearers of it, but when it comes to look away into Jesus, that's telling you what to do. But how do you do the looking away into Jesus? When it tells you to abide in him so that the rhema can abide in you, that's telling you what to do. But how do you do it so that you can do it so correctly that the rhema can have supremacy in you and you can, exp you can confess it as you will? The scripture says, if you live in your spirit, walk in the spirit. That's telling you exactly what to do. It's telling you to live in your spirit. It's telling you to walk in your spirit. But what do you do to do it? And how do you do it so that you do rock, walk in the spirit and have the success of him in the spirit. You don't find anybody teaching anybody that, well, we do find a few. We do find a very, very small few that is teaching you exactly how to do it. What do you do to train your spiritual eyes to see? What do you do to train your spiritual ears to hear? What do you do to train your spiritual hands to touch? What do you do to do that? And how do you do it? How are you going to learn to see what the Father is doing like Jesus? I can't do anything unless I see what the Father is doing. How are you going to learn to hear what the Father is saying? Because if you never hear what the Father is saying, you're never going to have the frame on. Are you listening? Where are the leaders?